My name is uh, Monica Wesley, and welcome to Ask the Expert. This is a brief, informative, and lively discussion with experts in the type 1 diabetes and related interdisciplinary research fields. We're recording this event. We're going to post it on the Sugar Science after the event, and um, it'll also be housed on our YouTube channel. And if you have questions for our guests, please feel free to enter them in the chat or raise your hand at the end of the presentation. And today we have two guests, very lucky to have two guests. We have Carmen Valcari, she's PhD. Um, she earned her doctorate in biochemistry and molecular biology at Universidad Autónoma de Madrid in Spain. She was a project leader on the glucokinase activator project at Novo Nordisk, and she's currently CSO at VTV Therapeutics based in North Carolina. She is a pharmaceutical executive with 20 years uh, plus years of research and uh, development and experience in life sciences, including preclinical and clinical development in the fields of metabolism, diabetes, and Alzheimer's disease. Clara Klein is uh, MD PhD. She was born and grew up in Atlanta. Then she traveled cross country to do her undergraduate work at Stanford University. Um, and this is very interesting. She pursued a research in synthetic organic chemistry, just one of the more easier subjects. <laughs> um, but uh, she then joined UNC's uh, MD PhD program and completed her PhD in cell and molecular physio physiology under the mentorship of Dr. Kathleen Karen. Her research focused on the role of a small peptide hormone, um, which is uh, adrenomedulin, in the development of lymphatic vascular system and understudied vessel network, very true, um, which increasingly is recognized to play really critical roles in normal physiology and disease states. So using in vivo and in vitro techniques, she helped identify a new role for G-protein coupled receptors, uh, GPCRs, and particularly decoy receptors in lymphatic vascular development and function. It's really interesting work. Um, she then entered the research pathway training in internal medicine and endocrinology, and she has plans to uh, pursue a career in translational medicine, focusing on multidisciplinary approaches to diabetes and obesity. And so she hopes to bridge the gaps between basic and clinical research um, in order to address the ongoing epidemics of diabetes and obesity. So welcome, um, both of you, um, Clara and Carmen. Thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedules to speak with us. And today um, we're gonna talk a little bit about TTP399 and also the Simplicity T1D trial. So TTP, the tongue twister 399 is a novel hepatoselective glucokinase uh, activator and it's in development for the reduction of hypoglycemic, hypoglycemic events in patients with T1D. And the Simplicity T1D trial, um, is a study that showed that treatment with 800 milligrams of this TTP399 demonstrated statistically significant reductions in HbA1c um, and uh, clinically relevant reduction in the frequency of severe uh, hypoglycemia, which is always, um, you know, something that is uh, in everyone's mind to be avoided uh, in the in the type one diabetes world. So welcome and please, you know, feel. Let's uh, launch into this uh, presentation. Sure, thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Um, like, um, like we just heard, my name is Clara Klein. Um, I'm an endocrinology fellow and a member of the physician scientist training program at UNC Chapel Hill. And I'm really thrilled and lucky to be part of the team that's helping develop TTP399. And I'm, I'm delighted to be here today with Carmen to talk to you about hepatoselective glucokinase activation for the treatment of type one diabetes. Some of the data that I'll present today um, uh, were previously published in the April 2021 edition of Diabetes Care, 
And so while I will talk about how we think this drug works um, and what we've previously shown, I'll, I'll try and highlight why we're so excited about the potential of glucokinase activation and TTP399 in particular for the treatment of type 1 diabetes. I have to admit that as a young endocrinologist and a clinician scientist, I found it somewhat stunning that despite how much knowledge we've gained and how much technological advances we've made, there's still so much to learn and so much to do to improve the care of our patients with type 1 diabetes. Despite truly revolutionary therapies for the treatment of type 2 diabetes, treatment for type 1 diabetes remains almost universally insulin alone. And in the United States, there are no FDA-approved oral adjunctive therapies for the treatment of type 1 diabetes. And despite more physiologic and faster-acting insulins, very few patients are achieving the ADA-recommended uh, hemoglobin A1C targets of less than 7%. And the truth is that they're not even getting very close. And this is particularly true for our youngest patients who will live with diabetes the longest and are therefore at risk for the most severe complications. But maybe even more interesting, despite all of these advances, some of the more severe and acute um, and preventable complications of type 1 diabetes, including diabetic ketoacidosis and hypoglycemia, are increasing. And so you can see here in the graph in the middle that there's been a sharp increase in the incidence of diabetic ketoacidosis hospitalizations in the last decade. And that's also true for hypoglycemia. That may be a little bit more obvious here in this figure where you can see that the annual prevalence of severe hypoglycemia in patients with type 1 diabetes has increased substantially over the last decade. So much so that the Endocrine Society, among other drug agencies, are identifying reducing hypoglycemia as a strategic priority and really a primary area of concern. And yet, despite all of this interest, there are no therapies available that protect against these events. To date, most, if not all, of the adjunctive therapies tested in patients with type 1 diabetes may improve glycemic control, but they do it at the expense of increased hypoglycemia and ketosis. For example, the SGLT2 inhibitors or the GLP-1 receptor agonists when tested in patients with type 1 diabetes. So there remains a very clear unmet need to identify therapies adjunctive to insulin that improve glycemia to prevent those long-term microvascular events our poor outcomes, and also to, um, without increasing these acute severe events like ketosis or hypoglycemia. But if we get a little bit greedy, if we move a step further, if we could identify an adjunctive therapy that protects against these complications while improving glycemia, it would mark a very significant advance for the treatment of diabetes. And so what I hope to convey to you today is that we see real potential for glucokinase activation for the treatment of type 1 diabetes not only to improve glycemic control, but to provide some protection against hypoglycemia and ketosis. So how does TTP399 work? So TTP399 uh, works on glucokinase and glucokinase um, is the enzyme that catalyzes the first step of glucose metabolism or glycolysis in both the liver and the pancreas. Glucokinase has unique properties that allow it to act as a molecular glucose sensor Specifically, the, the, the kinetics of glucose binding is different than for other hexokinases, such that it binds glucose at a much higher concentration. And that glucose binds glucose at a much higher concentration is important because in the pancreas, glucokinase activity leads to insulin secretion. So glucokinase activity really should only occur during periods of hyperglycemia. 
A second key property is that glucokinase is not inhibited by downstream products like glucose 6-phosphate, such that it continues to be active as long as glucose concentrations are high enough. Again, insulin should be secreted during periods of hyperglycemia and should only stop when that hyperglycemia has resolved. There is also strong genetic evidence that supports glucokinase's central role in glucose homeostasis as both activating and inactivating mutations have been described that lead to dysglycemia. Particularly relevant to our discussion, um, inactivating mutations in glucokinase lead to heritable forms of diabetes like MODI2. And so it's not terribly surprising that glucokinase has long been a therapeutic target of interest for the treatment of diabetes. But development of glucokinase activators has been stymied, as you can imagine, because of unfettered activation of glucokinase within the pancreas, which leads to insulin hypersecretion and hypoglycemia. And as we've discussed, hypoglycemia is one of the major problems that adjunctive therapies, particularly in patients with type 1 diabetes. Hepatic glucokinase, however, has several properties that differentiate it from pancreatic glucokinase. First, hepatic glucokinase has a unique interaction with glucokinase regulatory protein, or GKRP. During periods of euglycemia, GKRP binds glucokinase and sequesters it within the nucleus. During periods of hyperglycemia, glucose binds uh, glucokinase, and glucokinase undergoes a conformational change, which dissociates from uh, GKRP, and GK moves into the cytosol and allows glucose metabolism through glycolysis. Secondly, whereas pancreatic glucokinase is constitutively active, glucokinase expression in the liver is insulin dependent. So in type one diabetes where portal vein concentrations or the portohepatic insulin gradient is low, it's expected that GK expression and GK activity is also low. And so if we can selectively restore glucokinase within the liver in in, in people with insulin deficiency, we may have a unique opportunity to improve glucose homeostasis without leading to insulin hypersecretion and hypoglycemia. So TTP399 is a small molecule glucokinase activator that activates glucokinase within the liver, but has no activity within the beta cells of the pancreas. Importantly, TTP399 does not interrupt the GK and GKRP interaction. And so it maintains physiologic control of glucokinase and only promotes activation during periods of hyperglycemia. TTP399 has been tested in patients with type 2 diabetes and demonstrated to have a favorable safety profile without hypoglycemia and a significant improvement in glycemic control over a period of six months. Prior to Simplicity 1, no glucokinase activator had been tested in, in people with type 1 diabetes. So we don't need to spend too much time talking about the um, study outline for Simplicity 1, but I do think that it's really important to understand that Simplicity 1 followed an aggressive treat-to-target design, such that patients that were randomized, were randomized had to achieve a target of 80 to 130 milligrams per deciliter fasting prior to randomization to TTP399 or placebo. And during the study, there was a insulin adjustments frequently to target, again, a fasting plasma glucose of 80 to 130 and a post-meal plasma glucose of less than 180 and a peak of 200 mg per deciliter. So this is very tight control. And this was targeted in in both arms and it was blinded. And so any improvements in glycemia above placebo was seen on top of this intensive treat to target adjustments in insulin. 
So as we talked about, these data have been published in, in diabetes care. And so I'll just briefly run through the key study findings and then talk about the things that we're looking to in the future. First, there was a statistically significant reduction in hemoglobin A1C, again, on top of this aggressive treat-to-target design. And this was also represented in a two-hour increase in time and range relative to placebo in patients on TTB399. Total daily insulin dose was also re numerically reduced relative to baseline. And I think that this piece of data is, is some of the most convincing that we have. So I'll just kind of walk you through this figure. So this is a plot of change in insulin against change in total insulin. And so if you go on the y-axis, it says change in hemoglobin A1C. And you can see that if you go down, you have improvements in hemoglobin A1C, they're going down. Um, and if you increase hemoglobin A1C, glycemia is getting worse. And the same is for on the x-axis is insulin. If insulin is decreased, you go to the left. And if insulin is increased, you, um, you go to the right. And so in placebo, patients randomized to placebo, and these are these orange circles here, you can see what, what you would expect. If you reduce insulin, so insulin goes down, glycemia gets worse, hemoglobin A1C goes up. If you increase insulin, the um, glycemia gets better uh, and you have a, a decrease in hemoglobin A1C. In this quadrant here, where we're reducing insulin and we're also seeing improvements in glycemia, this is dominated by these blue triangles, which are the patients that were randomized to TGP399. So they're having improvements in glycemia in, even though their insulin is going down. Again, really highlighting that we think that TTP399 and the evidence shows that TTP399 is improving um, glycemia and allowing patients to reduce their insulin doses. More importantly, there were no detrimental safety signals um, that were seen across multiple parameters. And this really stands in distinct contrast to other agents that have been tested in type 1 diabetes. Um, including SGLT2 inhibitors and GLP-1 receptor agonists. So like I said, overall, the treatment emergent adverse events were similar between the groups, but we did note a numerical reduction in hypoglycemia and ketosis. And this is kind of the start of why, one of the reasons why we're so excited about um, these agents. Post hoc analysis revealed a statistically significant 40% reduction in hypoglycemia events in patients randomized to TTP399, and that's represented here. Ketosis events, again, defined by a beta-hydroxybutyrate greater than 0.4 millimoles per liter at any study visit were overall few. Um, and, and the study really, again, there were few events and it was not powered to assess statistical changes. And so we didn't perform statistical analysis, but I think you can appreciate that there was a reduction in ketosis events in patients randomized to TTP399 compared to placebo. Um, and so this was a very encouraging uh, result. So those of you who are paying very um, close attention may wonder, you know, you highlighted that this was an intensive treat to target design and maybe people who are having less ketosis were just on more insulin and maybe who people are having less hypoglycemia were just on less insulin. Maybe the change in insulin and that aggressive treat to target really impacts these results. But when we analyze based on change in insulin, the data really don't show that. Um, in fact, they show that um, regardless of insulin status, participants on TTP399 experienced less ketosis. So whether they reduced their insulin, they had less ketosis, whether they had stable insulin and they had, or they increased their insulin. And that's really also true for hypoglycemia, as you can see at every, um, whether they reduced or had stable insulin, they had lower um, amounts of hypoglycemic events. 
In the increased insulin group, you can see that there was one participant who had uh, symptomatic hypoglycemia, um, but this patient had no detectable TTP399 um, at their study visits. So I think, again, this is really encouraging data, but when I look at this again, this is just a, a representation, another representation of that cross that I showed you earlier. What I think is incredibly impressive when you look at it in another way is that in participants randomized to TTP399 who reduced their insulin, so 15 um, participants reduced their insulin, 67% of them also improved their hemoglobin A1C. And despite having less insulin on board and better glycemia, they had less ketosis events and less hypoglycemia. So this is, I think, really encouraging data, and, and it's and consistent with preclinical data and animal models um, done by Carmen and by other groups that suggest that glucokinase activation, restoring glucokinase activity, really can have um, an impact on ketosis and hypoglycemia. So we're moving on to test this hypothesis in humans, and we're currently conducting a phase one mechanistic study to determine the impact of TTP399 on ketone levels during insulin withdrawal. Again, the study is outlined here, and briefly, we're randomizing patients um, to TTP399 or placebo, it's blinded for seven to 10 days, and then they come into our clinic and we um, turn off their insulin pumps for 10 hours and measure ketones. And we are in the midst of it, so we don't know what's happening because it's all blinded, but we're really interested to see if it's possible that TTP399 will delay ketone rise in humans. But maybe even more importantly, there's a pivotal trial that's coming. The FDA has given TTP399 a breakthrough therapy designation, and that's primarily based on its impact on hypoglycemia. Because as you mentioned at the beginning of this talk, hypoglycemia is a major issue. And so if we could address hypoglycemia, it would have a really important impact for our patients. For that reason, um, it's expected that hypoglycemia will play a more central role in the trial than it has in other adjunctive therapy trials. And we're still working on the details for how this trial will be designed, but I think that it'll be really interesting. Um, the phase three trial will be really interesting, not only because we are encouraged and excited about the drug, but also this will be an interesting and I think novel um, type of trial design for um, adjunctive therapies. So in summary, um, the Simplicity One study confirmed the efficacy and safety of TTP399, a glucokinase, act, hepatoselective glucokinase activator in participants with type one diabetes. But really one step further, we saw a favorable safety profile and maybe even a role for protection against hypoglycemia and ketosis events. While longer and um, larger clinical trials are needed and be currently being planned, we're really encouraged about the future of glucokinase activation in patients with type 1 diabetes. Really, not only because it, 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 um, it gives us more therapies available for people with type 1 diabetes, but really primarily because it will improve patient quality of life. So the patients that I see in clinic every day, our patients are constantly struggling with the push and pull between too much insulin and hypoglycemia. You know, they do this every day. That's, a, that's something that they deal with every day. And so if we could find a therapy that gives some peace of mind with regard to severe hypoglycemia or ketosis, it would really not only be a major advance for the field, but you know, individually would provide significant relief to, me, to many of our patients. And so um, we're really excited about the potential of TTP399 um, for our patients with type 1 diabetes. So with that, 
we're happy to take questions. And I, I guess I should just take a moment to say that none of these studies can be done without the incredibly generous spirit of our um, patient population with type one diabetes who participate in these trials um, and the hard work of our study staff. So always wanna give a shout out to, to the hard work of our patients and, and staff. So happy to take any questions. Yeah, that is, that, that's fantastic. This is really encouraging data. Um, and just, I, I just, I, I'm, I have a few questions and I'm hoping people will jump in. I just, um, I wondered, you know, what sort of go back to the very beginning of um, your presentation, like what is behind this sort of real increase in severe hypos, increase of DKAs and HbA1c? Is there any, you know, feeling in the clinic, like what is driving these surges? Um, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't, think that we really know, you know, I think it would be um, interesting to, you know, so some people say, okay, there's just more people with type one diabetes being di diagnosed with type one diabetes. Um, and I think that, you know, also with the advent of all these technologies, I do think that with more people on insulin pump therapy, when the insulin pumps fail, people are at more risk for diabetic ketoacidosis. Um, certainly, the advent of these therapies that people are starting to use kind of even independent of FDA approval for type one diabetes, like the SGLT2 inhibitors put people at risk for DKA. But I do think it's more complicated than that. And I don't, I don't think we know the entire answer of why DKA is going up, but we're certainly seeing an increase. The hypoglycemia, you know, again, as we start to target, you know, again, we're targeting fairly tight control um, you know, with a, the guidelines are a hemoglobin A1C of less than 7%. You know, I think there are a certain population of people that, you know, if you're trying to target that, then you're going to have, you're just going to have hypoglycemia because it's hard to get there without having times where you have too much insulin on board. And so again, you know, if, if we're going to achieve, you know, we haven't found any data that exists that says that normalizing blood sugars completely um, in, in patients um, with type one diabetes improves outcomes, but we've never had anything that allows us to get there without hypoglycemia. And so I don't, you know, these new technologies and the advent of new therapies like TTP399 may allow us to see, do we reduce macrovascular outcomes by getting people to hemoglobin A1C of, 5.8% without hypoglycemia. Yeah, no, it sounds like, well, it sounds like the TTP399 sort of rounds out the profile on both ends, right? I mean, you, you're, 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 you know, you're, you're sort of rounding out the excursions on both ends. So, which is really pretty impressive. I mean, if it, if it can really pull through to a larger um, trial, it's really going to be um, a great tool in the toolbox for for type one diabetes. And I think I also, I guess, wondered, um, you know, what was behind the actual, how was TTP339 originally identified? You know, um, what was it, what, how was it, when was it identified as, as a target for target molecule for type one diabetes and, and sort of like, what's the history of it? Yeah, I think I probably have to defer a little bit to, to Carmen here. You know, it's, we've been, they've been, people have been developing glucokinase activators for, I mean, I think decades, you know, early 2000s. Um, there have been issues, um, including, 
not only global activation causing hypoglycemia, but also issues with liver, the liver profile um, because of the way that, it, um, that it, it can impact you know, metabolism, obviously. Um, and so what's unique, we think that this interaction, maintaining the interaction between GK and GKRP really protects against some of these adverse events. But um, Carmen really will be able to speak in more depth about that since she's been, you know, this is her, this is her baby. Um, yes, as, as uh, Clara said, we started many years ago in the early uh, 2000s when everybody was working on glucokinase. We different approach. We, from the beginning, didn't want to activate glucokinase in the pancreas, in the beta cell, because of the people that have mutations that activate glucokinase uh, overall. They suffer of hypoglycemia. So we thought that we could, we will not be able to control that. And so we were looking for compounds that only activate glucokinase in the liver that we thought that that was the, the only way that it could be safe to activate glucokinase. So, so we took uh, some time to get the right molecule, but finally we got it. And because of all the effect is coming from the liver, we thought that this could be very useful in people with type one diabetes because you don't require, uh, it's not a compound that is increasing insulin secretion. It's, it's a compound that is increasing the metabolism of glucose in the liver. So that's why we uh, decided to go this path and try this compound for type one diabetes. Yeah, that's great. I just was curious about the, you know, the history to, um, to trial, uh, what, you know, how, how long and so forth. So that's, that's really interesting. And um, we have a question. Um, is VTV Therapeutics specifically searching for a European partner, given that they've been ascending, attending EASD conferences in recent years? And will they attend the upcoming conference, uh, September 27th to October 1st? Um, we definitely will need partners. Uh, so we are open, not, um, I mean, to European partners for sure. Uh, me coming from Spain, I would like to have a European partner and uh, very probable we, we will be attending the, the ESD this year as well. Yes. Great. Yeah, no, I think it is. Uh, we've also tried to um, focus on scientists and, um, you know, small startups, entrepreneurial startups, biotech that is outside of the U.S. We really are very interested in um, sort of gaining a, a global audience as well as, a, you know, sort of highlighting the global um, effort uh, to, to work on type 1 diabetes. So I did also wonder, like, when you are putting together your phase 3 trial design, are you, uh, are you thinking about, you know, you're talking about people who are already are in tight control, you're thinking about maybe targeting athletes. I know that's a sort of a lot of people are looking at athletes right now um, in, in that bandwidth, or is it going to be more of a of a larger, um, you know, a larger population you're kind of looking to, to draw in? Yeah, I think, you know, it's, um, you know, picking the right population is always a challenge. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think, you know, you know, again, Carmen, um, Carmen will jump in, but I, you know, I think that this drug, my hope is that this drug, um, will be impactful for everyone. You know, and the great thing about this, and I didn't spend a lot of time talking about it, is it really seems to impact prandial blood sugars. You know, it, it seems to be most effective 
on, you know, on bolus, you know, bolus insulin. And so That's good. You know, the people that I worry about the most are the people who just cannot manage to give themselves, you know, insulin for their meals. And so if, you know, people who have hemoglobin A1C of 10%, you know, we don't, we haven't really seen the patient population with that. We haven't tested the drug in patients who have very poor control. You know, the average in simplicity one, hemoglobin A1C average was 7.6%. It's, it's very good control, even though we're always targeting better. Um, you know, who knows what it would do for a patient with a hemoglobin A1C of 10%. So, um, you know, again, the study details are to, to be determined, but I do not expect that we're going to restrict it to, um, to people who have very good control. Okay. That's great. And here's another question. The longer and larger clinical trials will be costly. Do you think a partner for TTP 399 would, uh, could help fund the trials? Um, I think that's a, that's maybe a, a Carmen question, not a, not a, a me question. I, I think, um, I, I will, I'll, I'll leave that one to Carmen. <laughs> she may not have, wait, maybe she'll come back. Well, th there is no doubt that, that it will be costly. Uh, we have the, the finance now to do it ourselves, uh, but we are always open to partnerships because many times you, you get more from, from working together with others. So if the right partner come across, we, we will definitely um, entertain that. Uh, but as it is now, we will continue um, ourselves and, and do the, the bigger studies. Yeah, it's great to have you uh, both on here, both from the science and the business, um, you know, disciplines or backgrounds, I guess. And so um, I also wanted to ask you, when you design your trial, do you think of um, entities like T1D Exchange and um, now in Canada, Connect T1D? Um, to sort of, you know, gain participants. I mean, they have a really, especially to the exchange has especially great record for really getting um, trial participants up and running quickly or, you know, gathering those people. Yeah, I think, you know, as you see, I think we, you know, as Carmen is saying, I think partnering with all these people is only can be beneficial. And, and so, you know, recruitment is always the hardest part of trials. So um, anyone we can we can involve to um, to recruit successfully, um, we we will. So you know, I, I don't know what the what the plans are, but certainly we'll look into all of the avenues to to get you know to reach recruitment. And and every site is a little bit different, obviously. Yeah, for sure. And, and we have been using some of the sites of the T1 exchange for our simplicity studies. So we definitely are um, in contact with many of the sites in the network and we, we plan to keep involving them for this trial as well. Yeah, that's great. They're a great repository and, and connector, T1D exchange. So um, yeah, I mean, I think that this is, uh, oh, one more, one more question. What are the expected clinical endpoints for, I'll just take this last one, for TTP399 mechanistic studies and will these results be presented at the ADA conference in late June? So I, I assume this is a kind of, this is about the mechanistic um, study that we're doing right now. So the study won't be, um, won't be completed by the time ADA rolls around. Um, so, the study endpoints are currently um, are, are increase of ketones um, 
by a certain percent um, and or an absolute amount. So the, the data is coming. Um, and I think that, you know, in my preliminary, you know, I don't know who's on what, but I think that there's going to be a, a huge amount of data to mine. Um, so there'll be, I, I'm really excited to see where, where what we learn from this. Um, but I think, you know, there'll be lots of interesting secondary outcomes that we will have to, we'll have to look at. Um, the primary outcome, again, is just a rise in ketones. Yeah. Well, the end of June is just like three weeks away. So <laughs> we've had right. we, fast time. Here at UNC, <laughs> we have done, you know, we've done a number of, there's two sites in this study and we've done a number of, of insulin withdrawal tests here at, in Chapel Hill. Um, and it's been, it's been really interesting. Yeah. Well, we cannot wait to see what happens next with VTV. Um, and we, again, we thank you both for taking time out of your busy schedules to meet with us. Um, Carmen Valcari and Clara Klein, thank you again. And uh, really exciting to see what's next for VTV. Thank you again. Thank you so much for having us. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank okay. you, Monica, for inviting us. Thank you. We wish you all the best. <laughs>